that kind of behavior when you increase the punishments for being cute uh, are, is going to be a little bit less tempting. The founder of Adelphia and two of his sons uh, have just been arrested, accused of looting the company and using it as their personal piggy bank. Is it any coincidence that so many big companies are going down at the same time? No, uh, this is this is uh, not surprising. This is a a the, the consequence of having years of a market bubble. What happens in those circumstances, time and time again, uh, whether it's in a sector or the entire market, is that corporate executives and investors start to think that the rules of business and investing have changed. They start to think that basically they can get away with pretty much anything. That you can invest in a stock on Monday, sell it on Wednesday, and you'll make money and you can do it forever. That corporate executives believe they can um, partake of the cash of a company, and the company will do just, will do just fine because it's being, been doing so well in the past, and besides, look at our stock price. Uh, ultimately, the bubble pops, and when the bubble pops, it splatters a lot of people, and that's, that's what we have here. Um, everybody was getting loose. Everybody was getting comfortable. Everybody was getting greedy, all of us, and the consequences of that uh, are going to play out for a while. You recently wrote a piece asking, now that capitalism has won over communism, can capitalism survive the capitalists? What do you mean by that question? It's something I've always found fascinating, that that the the first people to step up to argue against capitalism tend to be the capitalists themselves. Uh, capitalism, the fundamental concept of it, is those who produce... The best product at the lowest price win. Um, when people start to lose, they run to Washington. They ask for trade sanctions. They ask for all sorts of other actions. Now, I'm not saying that those are always wrong, but frequently they're being put in place because a company simply can't cut it. Um, in this instance, what we have are capitalists going for excised profits, capitalists going for profits beyond what the market would give to them if they weren't trying to fool the market. And to, to me, that is far more damaging to capitalism than anything else. Capitalism requires that people have some fundamental bedrock of faith that the system is functioning, that companies are working and putting out numbers, and the numbers they're putting out are reflective of what the companies are doing, and therefore they're able to take this, this risk of investing. Um, if it becomes much more of a crapshoot, if it becomes, well, these numbers are a guesstimate of what actually might be happening, I have no way of knowing, you're going to see what's been happening. You're going to see people pulling their money out of the markets and putting it on the sidelines until they have faith that the only risk they're taking is the risk of their investment, not the risk of fraud and the rest. That is what uh, the capitalists have done that is undermining the system. The relentless pr pursuit of personal profit, the relentless pursuit of higher stock prices, when the market is telling them it's not working anymore. That's where these kinds of frauds come out of, and that's the damage to the system. Kurt Eichenwald is my guest. He's a financial investigative reporter for the New York Times. He covers corporate fraud and has been doing that for about 15 years. 
uh, corporate fraud is is nothing new. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to tell you that. Um, but is there anything that holds all these recent corporate and accounting scandals together? Anything in, in the techniques or the style that makes these scandals any dif- different from earlier ones? Well, what's what's interesting about this one, um, which you didn't have in things like the insider trading scandals of the 1980s or the or the savings and loan scandals. What's interesting about this one is what we've witnessed is a complete breakdown of the checks and balances of the corporate oversight system. The accountants failed. The boards failed. The the institutional investors who are supposed to be playing a role in overseeing corporate governance failed. The SEC failed. Uh, the Congress failed. Uh, it's many of these issues have been presented to the Congress, and they listened to the words of the industries and said, "No, we we don't need to make any changes." So um, a lot of the outrage you're seeing these days in, on Capitol Hill is a consequence of, you know, them hoping that people don't realize how much of this, these probabilities of these events happening have already been presented to them, and they sidestepped it. So that that breakdown is different than anything else because um, we're not just seeing the consequence of greed. We can deal with that. We've dealt with that in the past. We will deal with that forever. What we're seeing is a consequence of sloth. In other words, people stopped caring. Investors stopped caring. Boards stopped caring. Wall Street stopped caring. Analysts stopped caring. Accountants stopped caring. All anybody wanted was for the stock price to go up for the next day. And when you have that as the single overriding factor, regardless of how it's done, this is the consequence. We haven't seen something on this scale with this much significance uh, since the late 1920s. And the 1930s played out with the same kind of information coming out, the level of, uh, of arrogance, the level of recklessness, the level of just plain fundamental criminal activity going on in corporate America. And out of that grew the decision to establish the Securities and Exchange Commission so we could have some oversight of the markets. Clearly, it's time for those those types of oversights to be stepped up again. Well, meanwhile, Harvey Pitt, the head of the Securities and Exchange Commission, is asking that his position be elevated to a cabinet position and that the position be given a raise in salary as well. A lot of people are laughing, thinking like, oh, what a ridiculous time for the head of the SEC to be asking for a raise. But what would it mean if that position was elevated to a cabinet position? That uh, everyone in Washington had left town except for Harvey Pitt. Uh, (laughs) The uh, I, I I don't mean that to belittle him. Harvey Pitt is actually a, a brilliant man. Uh, he's he is one of the smartest securities lawyers out there. But he came in with not a good message. Uh, when he began, his message was kinder, friendlier SEC. Um, the the chairman who preceded him, Arthur Levitt, was very aggressive. But now it's coming out that Arthur Levitt was very right. He was saying that there needed to be significant reforms in the accounting industry. Uh, he lost on that. He has said publicly that that's his single biggest regret is that he backed down on that. Um, when Harvey Pitt started saying uh, kinder, gentler, it wasn't too long after that that these scandals started. And he had a little bit of uh, delay in shifting his position, in getting into the point of um, of 
recognizing the magnitude of what was going on and also understanding that he was now in somewhat of a political position and that his words had different meaning than they might have if he was still at back at his offices at Freed Frank. So he, 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 I'd say if he didn't get it before, he gets it now. But I think the smartest thing for him to do is not to, to elevate his position anymore, uh, not to try and, and, and draw attention to himself, because um, he is somewhat of a lightning rod right now, fair or not. And he instead should just be the chairman of the SEC, do that job, work at it aggressively, recognize that right now he is one of the single most important uh, government officials in Washington right now. He's certainly, he's certainly the one that's attracting the most attention as people wait to see what he's going to do next. And, um, I think, I think the proof is in the pudding. He, you know, trying to counter the criticism is not, is not necessarily effective, but going off and doing the job is. Do me a favor, just run through a list for us of some of the investigations underway right now in, in the, in the corporate <laughs> It'll world. It'll take the rest of the hour. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you have uh, Enron, which, of course, is now the granddaddy of them all, even though it started in October. Uh, that is both criminal and civil, both SEC and criminal case. Uh, you have Adelphia, which um, is both SEC and, as everyone knows, since the Regas family was arrested, uh, is criminal. Um, you have WorldCom, you have uh, Tyco, you have um, uh, Martha Stewart. Uh, I've always looked on that as sort of the People magazine portion of the, <laughs> of the corporate fraud scandals. Um, you, you had Anderson, but Anderson is now, is now uh, dying. It'll be gone by next month. Um, yeah, the whole company will be gone by next month. The, the part, yeah, they're they're not going to be doing any. They're not going to be auditing any public companies after August 14th, I mm -hmm, think it is. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's the death of a of, a, of an accounting firm. Uh, you have Dynegy. You have, I mean, it, the the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. You have Quest, which is out in Denver, which is now under criminal investigation by the U.S. Attorney out there. Uh, you have Xerox. Uh, now that one is just an SEC case, um, but uh, that was already settled. But they've they've had uh, uh, problems with their accounting. And what we're really seeing is both the problems uh, that I described earlier of the dirty little secrets that have been going on coming out, and now a lack of tolerance for games playing, a lack of tolerance for things that come close to the line but clearly result in misrepresentations of, of financial statements. And it's just it's spreading rather widely. Let's zoom in on one of the stories you've been covering, which is WorldCom. WorldCom filed for bankruptcy this week. It's the largest bankruptcy in history. What does bankruptcy mean for a company like WorldCom? Um, bankruptcy was almost was almost uh beside the point i mean once once it was known the level of the accounting fraud and and at, and at worldcom it is accounting fraud uh that took place that company was dead and um these discussions about would they go into bankruptcy or wouldn't they to me, we're on par with, you know, is the sun going to come up tomorrow? It might not, but in all probability, it will. Um, 
bankruptcy, the, the effect of the bankruptcy at WorldCom is actually uh, bigger on the other telecom companies, uh, which is sort of a weird side effect. In bankruptcy, it doesn't mean you're out of business. It means that your debts and obligations are put on hold. You no longer have to pay them, and then a negotiation is reached with creditors, and you pay a certain amount on the dollar, or you give them stock in a new company, or you sell off pieces of the company and use that to, to pay them back, something, something along those lines. What that does is now WorldCom's biggest expenses, among their biggest expenses, their, their, their debt expenses, are gone. They don't have to pay them. Other competing telecom companies that aren't in bankruptcy do. So suddenly, their flexibility is freed up. They are in a better position today than they were last week. And they're in a better, they're in a markedly better competitive position today than, than uh, some of their competitors are. But the flip side of that is that the creditors control the company. The people who owe, who are owed the money have a lot of say over what goes on from now on. And, um, WorldCom's not gonna emerge from bankruptcy as some giant behemoth that uh, controls the world. It's, it's probably gonna be split up. Into its into its component parts. So who who are the creditors that are going to be fighting with each other about the destiny of WorldCom and who gets paid first? Um, that's what bankruptcy is all about: is figuring out that list and figuring out uh, who who gets who gets the biggest say. I mean, the banks are going to be the first in line. Uh, that's Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, and General Electric Capital. Um, those three are the ones that are providing it financing on an ongoing basis. Uh, they're giving them up to $2 billion, and they get paid first because that's debtor-in-possession financing. Those banks as well and other banks are lenders to WorldCom, and they are owed money going forward. Um, everyone from the Wall Street firms that provided uh, securities underwriting to the guy who stocked the uh, candy machine at the WorldCom headquarters in Clinton, Mississippi, uh, is a creditor, is somebody who's owed money. And all of them um, are owed different amounts. It's the ones that are owed the most, the banks, that tend to have the, uh, the most influence over the creditors' committee as you go forward in bankruptcy. I'm sure a lot of people already understand this, but can you briefly describe the nature of the WorldCom fraud? Sure. Um, actually, what's, the, the WorldCom on some level is a little bit boring because uh, uh, unlike Enron, which has just...